Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Here on 830 WCC, brought to us by our good friends down in Jordan, Minnesota, who make the best patio furniture in the whole world. That's by the art outdoor furniture. Speaking of great people, oh, Julie geez. Weisenhorn is back with us. Long hey, time no see, I my know, man. I know, I know it. It's good to have you back it's here. It's been busy this summer. It has been. What have you been up to? Oh, Everything. boy, yeah. Uh, tending Japanese beetles. <laughs> is that the biggest story lately? Well, it, is, it is in my neck of the woods. We've been, uh, uh, we have quite a few of them in our display garden, and so we're scratching our heads about it. But, yeah, it's, uh, that's, it's a tough thing that we kind of all suffer through, I think, this time of year. So we'll probably get a few area. questions I'm sure we might. Uh, yeah. calls and text messages yep. as so, well. Uh, they've been around a lot longer than I thought. They've been around in Minnesota for a long time, but most, most uh Recently, they became pretty prevalent in about 2011. So, Well, so if you're new to the show, Julie Weisenhorn is with the University of Minnesota, helps us out along with uh, Mary and Teresa mm-hmm. from time to the time. The and team. And Sam, too, sometimes. And it won't be, and Sam, too. It won't be long till the state fair. I know it. It's hard to believe, huh? I know. Here again. But that's, and then summer's over. And then summer's <laughs> over. We won't go there. But if you do have a lawn or garden question, you want to jump in as early as you can because, as you know, as Julie knows, we tend to get really busy during uh, this hour. So call us or text Julie. Uh, here is our phone number. We've cleared the line so you can uh, help yourself. 651-989-9226 or send Julie a text at 81807. 81807. I don't know about how it is in your yard, but we <clears throat> we could still use some more rain. Yeah, it's been pretty dry. We had two and a half inches, though, the other day. And, uh, you know, Sam, when he talks about lawns, he, you know, he said you don't need to water your lawns that much. And this time of year, actually, our grasses, our grasses are cool season grasses. They grow the most in spring and in fall when it's cooler. This time of year, they're actually kind of dormant. Yeah. And so uh, doing things like fertilizing right now can put stress on a, on grass plants. Because it pop kind of pushes them into growth, and they're really not supposed to be growing at this time of year. So it can actually stress the plants out mm. to try to, you know, change that little bit of little bit of tan color that you might have from the dormancy and the dry conditions, and try to you know crank it up to this big lush green lawn. And then you your plants end up getting stressed out by that because they're growing at an unnatural time for them. So uh it's important to also mow them at an at a at 3 inches minimum so that the crowns can be protected by the blades and that helps to cool them keeps them uh holds in moisture so you're saying uh, don't mow short yeah don't mow short don't scalp those lawns you know this is not a golf course <laughs> and and that and they only do that because you got to get the ball across the green but you know <laughs> That's true. but yeah. uh yeah mowing longer um and just 
understanding that grasses are not, this is not the time of year when they look top notch. It's spring and fall that they really look the best. Are the types that we have. Okay. Uh, you know what? You're right. We're getting uh, questions about Japanese, <laughs> Japanese beetles. beetles. But uh, somebody sent a text, said, uh, please settle a family discussion. How often should you fertilize tomato plants and what should you use to fertilize them? Well, there's actually, there's a lot of products that are specific for uh, tomatoes and they're tomato fertilizers. I would, I would look at those in particular and, and then follow the instructions on that. Because yeah. that is, and it depends if your tomatoes are in the ground or if they're in containers. If they're in containers, they'll need fertilizer more often because that flushes out Dissipates every time you water it, it goes yeah. out the bottom. So, but when they're in the ground, it's a little bit different. There's more nutrients there okay. that are resident in your soil. So, read the packaging, follow the instructions. Um, you can use a slow release fertilizer, a kind of a pelletized, and just sprinkle it into the soil, work it in a little bit, water that, and that will actually administer small doses of fertilizer over course of a month or so. Okay. But again, follow the instructions. That was a text and that number if you want to send a text to Julie, 81807. Let's go to the phones, see if we can help some folks out. Dan is calling from Minneapolis. Dan, you're on with Julie. Yes, good morning. Um, last night we had some company stop over <laughs> and in a matter of 15 minutes we saw about a dozen mm-hmm. Japanese beetles hop over the fence and right onto the deck. Our situation is we've got a classic American linden tree, which right. I'm guessing they're going after. They like those. Um, so, And we just had a yard, uh, uh, new grass laid down. Mm-hmm. So here's our scenario. We've got a small dog that is very susceptible toward uh, having to go to the university's vet hospital whenever there's any type of insecticides or pesticides. And so we're probably looking at an injection-based something for the tree. But as for the grass, you had just uh, mentioned about keeping the grass blades uh, taller in the summer. Uh, We read another article last night talking about, uh, you know, in terms of watering, that it should be flood-based watering, um, like a good two-inch soaking, then leave it alone for at least 72 hours, and then another two-inch soaking so that the water gets very deep to stop the larvae or whatever that those Japanese beetles are are trying to lay in the grass. Uh, you have any perspective on that? Well, the first of all, with as far as the injection of the tree, you want to be careful about that. And the reason for that is, is in some cases, you're, you're talking about a systemic type application of insecticide into your linden. Um, if it's a healthy tree, they can actually tolerate uh, for a number of years, uh, feeding from Japanese beetles. So the tree is not going to die because the Japanese beetles have skeletonized the leaves. That's the first thing. And that's true of, of uh, many plants, as long as they're healthy plants. You know, they're good-sized. And, um, but what you usually are going to inject that plant with is some kind of an insecticide that will not just affect the Japanese beetles, but will also affect pollinators. And that is a huge issue because lindens are very attractive to bees. And those uh, residuals of that insecticide will remain in the tree for some time. And it's, it's hard to say, you know, exactly how long, but, but you know, potentially you could be poisoning the bees next year when the tree blo- uh, blossoms. So you got to be really careful about what you choose to do that with. And most of them are going to be neonicotinoids, which are toxic to other beneficial insects. And those lindens are really desirable by um, pollinators. As far as the lawn goes, um, you do not need to water your lawn two and a half inches every three days. In fact, the, the more 
moisture you put into the lawn, the better the environment for the grubs. You're actually making it a much better environment. Yes, it's true you should water deeply but infrequently. And if you talk to Sam Bauer, who's our turf grass specialist, uh, you are not you do not need to water your lawn one inch every week. That's an old myth. You can water your lawn. You should water it when you start to see your footprints imprint in the lawn as you walk across it. Then it's time to water. Turf can take a lot of drought. It can take some dry conditions. And when you water it that much, that often, you're basically creating this fabulous environment for the grubs, and you're also uh, kind of inviting your your grass plants to just grow shallow roots because you got a ton of water in there. Why should they go any deeper? Hmm. And then when we get into these droughty conditions, those are the plants that burn out because their roots are right at the surface. They've never had to go any deeper than that. So you do not need to flood your lawn. You want to water deeply but infrequently. And uh, and you also want to consider rainfall. I just had two and a half inches of rain. That water is still in the soil, and uh, it, you do not need to be flooding it with two and a half inches every three days. That's a waste of water. Okay. So there's my. I'll get off my soapbox okay, now. Very good. Well, we'll, we'll let you <laughs> relax for a while. question to start with. <laughs> All right. Very good. We have to take a break, Julie. Hang on. Well, we'll I did. We, we, I'm, get, I'm getting you a bigger soapbox. So don't go go away. 72 is our Twin City temperature reading. We'll be back after the break here on 830WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show here on 830WCCO. Denny Hall here, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Uh, has a lot of text messages along with callers. Should we help the callers first? Yeah, before? yeah. But, you know, before we do, let's give the website for... So, uh, the, yeah, the, so our extension site is extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab and go to Yard and Garden. You can also Google any topic and just put UMN after that, and you'll you'll come across any publication or mm. articles that we have. Sometimes that's easier because you kind of can dig down quickly and get to uh, the articles faster. So either way is great. All right, we'll mention that before Julie takes her leave today. Jim and Marshall has been waiting to ask a question. Go ahead, Jim. Thank you. Uh, Good morning, Julie and Danny. Morning. Morning. Uh, I've got a long needle pine tree that's about 25 years old. It's about 12 inches in diameter at the base and maybe 30 feet tall or so in a residential location. Uh, The lower portion is really full, but uh, this spring... It dropped uh, an unusually large number of needles, the long needles, and then had new growth come out, uh, mostly to the top. It sort of looks like a poodle at the top and the regular <laughs> tree at the bottom. Okay. You know, like the poodle cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I've noticed a lot of woodpecker holes on it randomly, sure. not in a pattern. Uh, and some of the newer portions, the let's say uh, the newer growth, even in the bottom area that are maybe a quarter inch in diameter, starting to turn yellow. Okay. And it looks like they're dying. So I wondered if there's anything I could do or if it was it got attacked by woodpeckers. or. Well, the woodpeckers uh, are there because th- there's insects there. So, oh, insects. Yeah, so they, they are kind of a, yeah, they're they're part of a, uh, usually when you see a woodpecker, it means that they're they're feeding, they're looking, they're hearing the buzzing or the feeding of the insects, and they're uh, drilling into the tree because of that. As far as it's, some 
pine trees, like a, I, you didn't didn't say what type of pine tree, but if it's a white pine, I mean, both white pine and red pine drop their needles as a natural occurrence. But it sounds to me like there's something else going on. It's a little bit more dramatic for your tree. Yeah. Um, and because it's a big tree, I'm a big fan of calling in a certified arborist. And okay. we've, we've got an excellent publication on our site uh, at extension.umn.edu. If you go to Trees and Shrubs, there's a publication on how to hire a certified arborist. And, and okay. arborists can bring a wealth of information and assess your tree properly in person. So that's what I would recommend with those mature trees. Okay. Yeah, um, don't want to lose a pine if you can't help no, it. No, it's, it's very, very large and very beautiful. Right. And, uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. The top does look like a poodle, you know. Yeah. So I want, you better get something done to it, I guess. Yeah, have somebody come and take a look. You might have had some feeding, too, from sawflies. They like to feed on pines. And, and then they, you know, feed on the old and then the new, you know, grows out and it looks kind of funky. So. Well, good luck with that, Jim. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Jim leaves that line open at 651-989-9226. Suzanne is calling from White Bear Lake. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. You know, first of all, I I have a standard poodle. I never thought it was like a tree. (laughs) Just the opposite. I'm really offended. I've never heard anyone say, my standard poodle looks like a pine. (laughs) Oh, oh, she's so cute. Anyway. That's classic. Hey, um, my question is that I live in a townhome area, and we have a very, very narrow backyard and a lot of box elders, and they were pretty much reaching over the top of the house, and the the area back there, when it rains, it's very saturated, little to no grass. Well, recently, they sheared the limbs up and opened it up more, and that was great, but they also, the ground cover got cleared a little bit more than expected, and it was just opening up to the backyard behind us that's pretty unsightly. Okay. So they have asked me to kind of put together a plan for what I would like back there. And what I'm thinking is some kind of pine tree. I like the real wide arborvitae, but I hear that deer like them too, and we do yes. have deer. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, something that grows fast. Um, I'm just a little bit at a loss. I had a friend that's a um, landscape architect, and she says the blue spruce, which they do plant around our community there, um, are diseased and not recommended by right. the youth. So that rolls out blue spruce. So I'm wondering if there is a pine tree that we could put back there that would grow fairly fast and be kind of creating like a privacy screen. Well, it sounds like it's pretty shady. Yeah. Well, they did open it up a lot because okay. they trimmed up some taller branches and such. So we do have quite a bit more sun back there. Um, but they would be put more in front of the okay. elders, I would say. So uh, we have an excellent database for plant selection that you might want to start with. And it you can find it on the landscaping section of the extension site, which is extension.umn.edu, and click on landscaping. Click on garden and go to yard and garden and then click on landscaping. And it's called the Plant Elements of Design. There's about... Just under 2,800 different plants on there. And there's a lot of different conifers, pictures of them. Uh, and then you can, what, what I'd recommend is figuring out the maximum size that you want the plant to be. In other words, how much space do you have for it to grow? And then lo- starting with that along with the conditions, you can enter those into the database and uh, click search and it'll come up with any and all plants that fit. The other thing you can do too is on our trees and shrubs section, we do have 
some information on evergreens and also on other plants too. So you might be looking at, there might be a a combination of things. I would say don't just plant a row of evergreens, but mix in maybe some red twig dogwood. They look great in the winter. You might want to add a few ornamental grasses here and there so that you have a little bit more of an interesting site than just a row of evergreens. I know that you want some privacy there, but if you do a combination, you're going to have a lot better uh, kind of a more landscape type effect and a little, also a little bit more natural because we don't grow, you know, hedges of evergreens don't grow uh, in nature. And, and when you mix in some of those red twig dogwoods, you get that nice winter interest in there. So take a look at that database. And then uh, you, can always con- you can always ask extension. You could send some pictures on ask extension to uh, ask an expert and, and one of the master gardeners or myself can help you out with that. It's probably easier if we see some photos of it. Yeah, good idea. But yeah, take a look at the database. Very good, Julie. We have to take our half hour, half, it's not going to be a half hour break, our bottom of the hour break. We have another half hour of the show to go. So if you um, missed the first half hour asking your questions, we'll uh, have more time. Uh, if you find the lines busy, here's the number, 651-989-9226, or send a text. We have a bunch of those, 81807. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show, brought to us every week by our friends down in Jordan, Minnesota, the make by the yard outdoor furniture. We'll talk about that. Coming up in just a matter of minutes, Julie Weisenhorn's back with us in studio from the University of Minnesota, giving us that website. (laughs) (laughs) Extension.umn.edu. Click on the garden tab, go to yard and garden. I'm sorry, I was reading a text and said, is it time to harvest garlic? And so I was thinking about harvesting garlic. (laughs) Um, And I'll just address that one really quick because they they were one of the first people in. Uh, We have a, a, a really good publication on growing garlic. In fact, we have two of them on the extension site. So I would recommend if you're growing garlic at all, take a look at that. It's got really good information in it. But here, uh, according to this information, you don't want to harvest too early because the bulbs will be too small. And normally, uh, it's normally harvested between late June and late July. So we're right about in that time frame. And one indication is that when those lower leaves turn brown and the upper half will still remain green. So, So if they're starting to turn brown at the bottom of the leaves, you can pull them up. All right. Them up. Very good. Thanks for that. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. Uh, Marge in Columbia Heights has been waiting. Marge, good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I have a 50-year-old maple tree, and all of a sudden in the past couple weeks, I'm losing little branches about eight, six to eight inches long with green leaves on them. Okay. And the neighbor says it looks like a squirrel. Or yeah. Sometimes it's it, it most of the time when I've seen that happen it's been because of squirrels that they're climbing around up there they're active they could be chewing on those leaves and uh that's probably what it is if they're if they're green and they're not affected the leaves aren't affected it's probably an animal Yeah I see that in my yard too it Could be big thing. birds you know up there Yeah messing around I don't know So if they're green they're yeah, solid green Yeah they're... it's probably nothing to worry about you have to clean them up that's the only yeah, thing Yeah that's the work <laughs> Thanks, Marge. Appreciate that. Julie is calling from Rosemount. What a Julie, nice name. I, what a great name. <laughs> Hi, Julie. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question on daylilies and aphids. Okay. My daylilies are turning all brown, and there's little white bugs, and I think they're aphids. What do I do for them, or have I lost the plant? Probably not. You probably haven't lost the plants. Daylilies are tough plants. Um, I've seen a lot of um, 
some of the tried and true daylilies like Stella's turning brown right now. Um, I talked to a friend of mine, Jim Calkins, who's a super knowledgeable guy. We've taught together for a long time. And uh, and we kind of conferred about it. We and, and if you think about it, we started the year off with pretty fluctuating temperatures. We had some really dry, hot weather early on. And uh, it could be that the leaves are just kind of, you know, they're just dying back, which is, you know, we, we were about three weeks ahead of schedule uh, earlier this year. And um, so that could be part of the reason for that. But as far as the white bugs go, um, we would have to decide, we'd have to figure out what that bug is to see if that's causing it. I doubt that that's what's causing it. It might just be that they're now on the plant because they're, uh, because the leaves are dying back and maybe they're decomposing insects. Um, so you need to ID that. If you can get a picture of the bug, they're probably really small, you can send it to Ask Extension and we can see if we can ID it for you. Take a picture of your plant too along with it. Okay, good idea. Thank you, Julie. Martha is calling from Monticello, I believe. Go ahead, Martha. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have at least a billion little grayish-white moths all over my flower garden. Okay. And <laughs> I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know if they are destructive or what their next stage of life is. And if I spray for them, uh, I don't want to kill the bees. So sure. help me out. Okay, so I, I would say if you can get a picture of them, uh-huh. that would be great because we want to be sure that we ID that. A lot of times you'll see you know, a, a group of insects, soldier beetles are an example, where there's a lot of them, they've hatched out, or there's a lot of them at the time, uh, and they're not an issue. So the best thing to do is identify them first. And mm. so if you can get a picture and send it in to ask extension, that would be great. You can also look at, if you can't get a good picture, you can also look at our diagnostic tool, what insect is this, right. and see if you can find a picture or a couple pictures, and then we can you know, help you decide that. But if you can get a photo, that, that'd be great. Do, if, if, um, uh, I don't usually do this, but if I do okay. pray um, at a time when the bees are not out at dusk or in the evening, and the spray is just killing the insect on contact, will it hurt the bees? I really strongly recommend you don't just spray because you don't know what that insect is. And, uh, and, and that's the first thing of, before you do any kind of treatment is you want to identify what that insect is. So don't, you could spray with water. You could blast them with water. That's fine. But don't, don't just go grab an insecticide and think that you may be spraying the right one because you could be doing more damage than good. So send us a photo if you can, or blast those. If you see a lot of them on a plant, just blast them with water. See if that knocks them down at all. Okay, very good. I'll tell you, let's take another call, and then we'll uh, grab some text messages. Linda is calling from uh, Minneapolis. Hi, Linda. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have... um, ferns that have been established for a number of years, and I just came back from vacation. We were gone for two weeks, and 75% of my ferns are dead, and I've got um, hostas in front of them. The hostas are fine. The impatience are fine, but my ferns are dead. Are they brown or are they yellow or are they flattened? Uh, they're or? brown, like dead to the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are they broken? Are the fronds broken? Um, we had a lot of heavy rain. 
Okay. Uh, I have a I have a planting of annual flowers out front, and they're mm-hmm. flattened down from the rain. So it could be that they were flattened down and they broke or well, bent. Well, I, I suppose that's a possibility. Um, they are covered with some shrubbery. Um, they're kind of underneath okay. some, you know, trees there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suppose that's possible. It just seems, I mean, they've been established for so many years, and just all, I mean, they li- literally <laughs> yeah. just dead. <laughs> yeah, so it could be that we've also had some, we've had some really hot dry weather for a little bit while you were gone, and that could be part of it too. So it's just a fluctuation. It could be that it's just, you know, that they have just died back now. They do start to die back if they're ostrich ferns, which I'm kind of guessing they might be. Uh, they're real big ferns, and, and those do die back and turn yellow toward this time of year. So as we get, and we've had this really hot, windy weather in the recent recent weeks. Okay. Uh, tell you what. Let's thank you, Linda. We hope that helped. Let's yeah. uh, let's try to pick up on some text messages, okay. Julie, if we can, because we right. got a ton of those. Whew, here we go. Uh, can I eat black walnuts? Well, you can, but they're really, really hard to crack. Um, their shells are very, very hard. So i I don't think it's worth it to try mm, to eat okay. them. Actually, I think it's it's really tough. Um, transplanting lupins. Are there any tricks to moving them? They are a little bit difficult to transplant. Um, you might want to start establishing or start with some seed, or you might want to start with some new plants. You could add some new color in, uh, perhaps, uh, looking to, uh, purchase a lodge up North on a heavily wooded lot. Uh, how much area would we need to clear to get some grass? Well, that's really going to depend on your exposure and, uh, and how much grass you want. So, you need to just look at that area, and you're going to want to grow a, probably a, a fescue mix up there because it's going to be drier and it's going to tolerate the sandier soil. How about sunshine? Should uh, have a sunshine? Lot of well, sunshine. You're going to want at least about minimum of six hours of full oh, okay. sun for that for grass. Fescue is a little more tolerant of some shade, so you could you could do a, even a part shade there. Okay. Uh, planted uh, rudbeckias this year. Should I deadhead them? Yes, yes. You can deadhead them, and they may flush out a little bit more bloom. Uh, and then covering them in the winter, um, you don't really have to. Um, it, they're pretty tolerant of of, uh, of our cold winters. Should I avoid preen? Well, preen is a pre-emergent, so that's different. So pre-emergence will prevent seeds from germinating. If you put preen down, any of the seeds that have um, that are left and fall from those seed heads will, of course, not germinate. So yeah, I guess if you want to, if you want those seeds to fall and to germinate, then uh, you would avoid preen. And uh, let's see, if you were to overseed to improve your lawn quality, what type of grass seed is best to use in this region? Thanks. Um, there's a lot of different types. And if you talk to our turf grass folks like Sam, he will say you get what you pay for in grass seed. So you go cheap, you might not get very good quality grass seed. And you, you want to understand the site that you have, moisture content in your soil, sandy or clay. Uh, you also want to look at the amount of light that you have and then choose a grass seed. Fine fescues are his two thumbs up kind of grass seed because they're drought tolerant, they're a little shade tolerant, they're low nutrient requirements, they have a little different look than Kentucky bluegrass, so you could overseed and, and have a good mix going on. They also don't green up quite as fast as Kentucky bluegrass. Okay. Um, somebody's asking about the beetles. Uh, they, uh, they're devouring my apple tree. Chances are, yes, those are Japanese beetles. They're big, Fancy beetles, they have a copper uh, back. They've got five tufts of white hair along their abdomen and the back end. And they are big, and they're relatively slow. So they're actually quite easy to pick off. I had 
good luck on my grapevines, actually spraying them down with water first to kind of stun them. And then I was able to really grab them pretty easily. Mm. So. All right. Tell you what, let's take a break, Julie. We have uh, more. I know you've got uh, more uh, text messages to talk to uh, and talk to folks on the phone as well. So everybody stay where you are. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We're in the midst of our uh, Smart Garden Show. Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is here. And uh, wow, (laughs) busy hour. It is. Uh, Do you want to go back to the phones first? Uh, And then... uh, What's up uh, to you? Sure. All right. They've been, folks have been waiting a while. They have here, been. Like. John is Very calling patient. from uh, Savage. Thank you, John. What is your question, please? Uh, good morning. I've got a uh, purple ash that's about 15 years old and a, a good canopy on it. Inside the canopy are uh, small dead branches. Is that normal? And then if they, uh, it is normal, can I trim those now or do I have to wait till the fall? You could trim those now. That's fine. And you will see some dieback a little bit. It's when the larger branches start to see, when you start to see more dieback, they want to be concerned. If, if you're thinking that you might have emerald ash borer at all, I don't know if you've treated the tree at all, but you can okay. take a look at the Minnesota Department of Ag website. They have awesome stuff on EAB. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it's yeah. been treated. So okay. There's small branches. Yeah, they might just be little twiggy dieback stuff. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yep. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Uh, Kevin is calling from Wasika. Go ahead, Kevin. Thank you. Yes, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, I have a couple questions in regard to the lawn. Um, first, uh, I picked up some uh, fertilizer on sale. It's classified as winterizing fertilizer. It's high in nitrogen. Uh, I was wondering when would be the best time to apply it. And secondly, I also plan on uh, spraying the lawn for dandelions and broadleaf. Uh, I would probably spray first and then put fertilizer on. Uh, when would be the best time to spray? Thank you very much, and have a good day. Great. Good questions. Uh, first of all, one of the things about spraying anything uh, or treating your lawns is at this time of year, as I said a little bit earlier, you don't want to be necessarily applying fertilizer and bumping your lawn into active growth. Right now it's in kind of a dormant state. And also we have to be careful with spraying anything because uh when you start to spray herbicide, is you can uh, they can volatilize in really hot, hot weather. So you got to look at the you got to watch the air temperature. Like this would be not a good day to do it. Very humid. It's going to be a hot day. Uh, what happens is when that herbicide volatilizes, it can actually affect other plants nearby, like shrubs and trees. It actually uh, the the fertilizer becomes almost like a gas and and um, and can affect other other plants. So you want to spray at the right time of day and the right temperature. Um, Fall is the best time to fertilize because that is when the plant is actively growing. The lawn is actively growing. And I'm going to refer you to our lawn care calendar, and it's on our lawn care site. Uh, It's on the extension.umn.edu, and go to garden and yard and garden, and then go to the lawn section and go to lawn care. Um, and it's a great calendar. It will tell you exactly the best time, best time of year and second best time of year to do things uh, as far as lawn care goes. Fertilizing, aerating. I see somebody had a question about when, when you should you aerate your lawn. Uh, it also has good information on weed control, both pre- and post-emergent. And so I would say take a look at the calendar, print it out, put it on your refrigerator, and then you can use that as to help follow the timing for caring for your lawn. Also, whatever chemical or product that you buy, be sure to read the package. The frequency, in other words, how often you apply it, and the rate, how much you apply, are really critical to successful lawn care. 
So be sure to follow that. Get a spreader, you know, invest in a good spreader and calibrate it correctly. Learn how to do that and then buy a product that's best for your for your lawn and apply it at the right time and at the right rate. That is a good guideline, though. That yeah, that the, calendar is one of my yeah. favorite go-to because I don't remember all this stuff. You know, yeah, I have to yeah. go look at things. As far as the aerating goes, there's a really good thing to think about. Aerating your lawn is best done in the fall, and the reason for that is if you aerate it now or in the spring, you can uh, you have a lot more weed seed germination. In the fall, you don't. All right, good so idea. Fall is fall is the boy best time to do. 90% of what you have to do to your lawn. Let's take one more lawn question, and maybe we'll grab some okay. text messages. Kristen is calling from Crystal. Good morning, Kristen. Hi. Hi. Um, our city tore up the roads. They were laying new roads, and then um, they tore up our yards, but they put down new dirt and new sod where it was torn up. Okay. A lot of our lawns that are facing south are getting burned up, Sure. And um, well, it looks burned up. And so we've called the city and they said that we should water, um, keep watering it a lot. And you were saying just an inch a week. That is for the inch. Well, the inch a week is has been an old rule of thumb for existing lawns. These are lawns okay. that are already in place. Sod is different. Sod, you're trying oh. to establish a root to soil contact. And so you okay. do need to water that sod and keep watering it. Do not let it dry out. Might and that, so that could be done every day then? That should be, yeah, that should be kept moist. You have to, it's so that those plant roots will start, you know, leaving the sod and getting into the soil below. Okay, good. Do uh, you want to grab a text or two? We're almost out of time. Okay, uh, sure. Um, somebody is asking about um, some storm damage, and many branches on our trees uh, have been broken. Is it okay to prune those off now? Can we prune them? Do we recommend treating the cut with anything? Thank you. Stephanie from Hamburg. Um, you you can prune broken branches. In fact, you should prune those off, but you shouldn't treat them with anything unless it's a time of year that a plant is susceptible. Case in point is oak trees. Our time not to prune oak trees is between April and June. And that is because oak wilt is very prevalent at that time. And so there you would treat that with maybe a latex paint. But but when you talk to foresters and arborists, you do not treat those cuts. Research has shown that the tree actually heals better without a cut treatment. A wound treatment is called. Okay. How about another one? Uh, let's see. Um, we have so many here. Um, uh Somebody is asking about bronze-colored beetles on my river birch. Yep, that's it, Tom. That's um, those are probably those are most likely Japanese beetles, and they do. Uh, you don't need to worry. Just keep that tree healthy. Make sure that it doesn't. You know that it, you just keep it watered. Um, it, trees need a lot of water in this time of year, especially. And and river birch have surf have roots very close to the surface, so you want to keep that mulch the tree as well. That helps as well. Um, I have tiger lilies that are doing what the fern caller mentioned. Uh, for the last two summers, they start out great and die off by now. Well, they've probably finished blooming, and they will start to die back uh, as they age. So uh, you can cut back the seed heads from those plants, and they are just going to naturally start to turn yellow. And, uh, and then when they get pretty lousy looking, you can cut them down all the way. We have, oh, just about 60 seconds to go, Julie. Maybe we could back up a little bit and mention that guide for the, gar- the, the, the one to 
do your garden or lawn and uh, lawn. Oh, the calendar. The calendar, yeah. yeah. So this is the lawn care calendar, and you can find it under our lawn care section on the website. Uh, we also have one under the flowers section, too, for uh, for flower gardens as well. Uh, but lawns are a little trickier. People, there's a lot of timing that people want to know about. So, again, the best time is rule of thumb for a lot of things like fertilizing and aerating lawns is in the fall when the plants are actively growing. And if you want to get on a great website just to have fun yeah, reading. Yeah, go to extension.umn.edu, click on the garden tab, go to Yard and Garden. Uh, if you did not get your question answered, we encourage you to send it in to Ask Extension. It's uh, right at that, right on that uh, garden page. So just scroll down, click that on. You can send in up to three photographs and the Master Gardeners or I will be answering your questions. And when next will the abiders be playing? Uh, well, we're on a bit of a hiatus right now. Well, it's summer. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be at the Tonka Brew Fest November 4th. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be at the State Fair, And we'll be at the State Fair. I'll be back next week. All right. Thanks, Julie. Good to see Julie Weisenhart. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.